Hey, Anthony, it's that time again. To infiltrate the Oscars with our movie on how to save a mockingbird? Yeah, yeah w- wait, no. No, not at all. Then what? It's time to make the podcast. Oh, 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 oh yeah, that thing. Once again, we have reached that time of the week. Time to dive into the movies we love and the movies we wish we could forget. Pitting them against each other to receive praise uh, or hatred. Based on a scale of our choosing. So let's jump into it. This is the Double Feature Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to a new episode of Double Feature Versus. I am Anthony. My name is Brad. Yeah, that guy over there, his name, uh, he, he's, he's Brad. Um, so today we are having a double feature surrounding uh, the man, the myth, the uh, current legend, Lynn Manwanda. Whoa, I messed that all the way up. Uh, you, do, do you want me to say this one? <laughs> no, Lynn Manuel Miranda. That there you right? go. There you go, Mr. Hamilton, Mr. In the Heights. So um, today we got Netflix's Tick, Tick, Boom, uh, which he uh, directed, uh, versus Encanto, um, Disney's Encanto, which he uh, wrote the lyrics for. Uh, He did the story and songwriting for Encanto, and then it was his directorial debut for Tick, Tick, Boom, and he did a lot of the uh, song kind I guess he didn't do all of the songs, but he did a lot of the song work for Tick, Tick, Boom as well. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah, how you want to go about this one, man? I, I think you said Tick, Tick, Boom came out like, like 12 days before. Yeah. So I think, uh, with this one, we should kind of go chronological. Um, especially right. since I know how much you love musicals, I think we should start with the one that is slightly less of a musical <laughs> let me tell you something man I, i'm not a chronological type of guy i like everything non-linear but i'll, I'll give you a pass on this episode we'll, we'll go tick tick on this one yeah i, I know uh, how much you hate musicals and you hate things linear dude. so i feel like we should just go all in on this one let me tell you something man for a movie with with for for a guy that does not like musicals this movie sold me man it was very charming um, very like very sad in some moments too, but very charming, dude. Let, let's take it from the top. So, Tick Tick Boom is the story of Jonathan Larson. He is the man that uh, created the stage musical Rent, which uh, if you know what that is, you know uh, was it five hundred sixty-five thousand something something minutes? Yeah. Um, it's a very uh, very famous musical. It kind of it kind of uh, changed the way. It was a groundbreaking event for musicals. I'll just put it that way. Yeah, it uh, was basically, it flipped a lot of what people thought musicals could be on its head. Right. And as a result, it's like one of the longest running musicals on Broadway, if I recall correctly. I believe so. And uh, the sad fact of it is uh, this movie kind of chronolog- does uh, the chronological uh, life of uh, John Larson before he created Ren. So this is his work on his first play, Superbia, and then eventually leading into Tick, Tick, Boom, which was his own kind of autobiographical uh, play. 
Mm-hmm. And sadly, when it comes to rent, like one of the biggest kind of like trivia things when it comes to that is he died. I can't remember if it was the day of or the day before its Broadway he debut. He died the day of his off Broadway debut, man. Yes. The day of. He had like, a, of all things, an aneurysm in his brain. Yep. Like in, that he didn't. Um, if you know the story behind it, while I looked it up, he w- he went to the hospital because he was having chest pains, I think dizziness and short of breath, and they just told him, "Oh, it's a flu." They didn't know like it was like a rare disorder that he had, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, man, that's just one of the saddest things ever, man. Yeah. Like the, the day your life changes. Well, I'm you could tell his life changed before then when you look at the story, but like the day your work is validated, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, Rent yeah. is what everybody knows him for, and he never got to see it play a single time on Broadway. Right, right. So um, let's start this from the top because uh, Brad just kind of gave away the end. Uh, so Jonathan Larson, uh, he's a man that's um, trying to enter the industry of uh, writing stage musicals. Uh, he's about to turn 30, so he, he has he's having a very, very early midlife crisis. He's like, uh, Stephen Sondheim, he... He made uh, West Side Story before he before he turned 30. And what do I have to show for it? I'm living in a crappy apartment with a roommate and, uh, you know, like uh, working at a diner, working at a diner. My love life is, is on the fritz. Like what well, my love life is shaky right now. Like, what do I have to prove for it? I don't even have one musical like like on Broadway. So um, here's the thing, man. Uh, he has this musical called Suburbia, Superbia. Which, if he explains it to you, you you go kind of what? But the music is amazing. So it's uh it's it's uh, <laughs> it, it's set in the future and it has to do which is basically Instagram when he when he described all of it. But it's set in the future where it's like a bunch of people, uh, the middle common folk look at rich people through little uh, media devices, um, and see rich people kind of show off their life or something like that. It, yeah. it sounded like Instagram and social media to me, which was, again, ahead of its time. But uh, anyway, a lot of people don't understand it. He goes to different workshops. He gets a lot of um, words of support from Stephen Sondheim, which is, you know, who was basically sort of one of the great uh, musical writers. He made West Side Story. He recently passed away. Rest in peace. Um, but he just doesn't. He's trying to know where to go in his career. You know, he, he, he's, he, he, he's very ambitious, a very fun guy, uh, friendly um, you know, in a very hyper too. Like, I feel like this is a great physical role for Andrew Garfield. Like he really like, he really, really sunk into this role. Oh, absolutely. So I, I know that I pretty much praise Andrew Garfield every chance that I can. And in this movie, he deserves it. He, he absolutely deserves it. Uh, he's a great actor and everything. And this movie is one of those shows of just how widespread his acting can be because he actually goes through like all the emotions in this movie and you get to see him be smart and cocky you get to see him be like just very hyper uh he has a lot of like very sad dramatic moments Mm -hmm. uh he does it all in this movie and it's great to see him actually play a character that uh gets go through this kind of range throughout his entire life because he's a very happy person that's unhappy with its circumstances. That's exactly, and you know what? As a screenwriter, I, I listen, man. I um connected to his character. I connected to Jonathan Larson so much throughout this film. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, I get all of that. 
It's like you got everything else on pack. You, you have the talent. You, your life, you know, you got great, great support system around you, great friends. You got a beautiful girlfriend, but something's missing. You mm. don't have a career or you don't have the career you want. And you feel like, is, is time passing me up? Is it over for me? Can I, will I never make it? You know, and I, I love how he's having an early, like, midlife crisis. Because anyone on the outside looking in who, don't under, who doesn't understand art and stuff like that, they might go, man, you're 29. You got your whole life ahead of you. But someone who understands this that goes, nah, I, I, to me, in this, right, in this moment, I don't. I have to do something with my life. I have to do this. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, man, I, I got to say, you know me. You know I don't like musicals. But this movie, the story drew me in to the point where I even nodded my – it's very good music in this film. And I'm sure there's a lot of musicals out there which may not be my taste that have some solid music. Little Shop of Horrors had solid music. I just didn't like – I just musical. don't like musicals. Right. <laughs> right. I just don't like musicals. But See, um, I knew that, and I pitched this one because I know that you watched Hamilton, and we've discussed it a little bit off podcast and everything yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. And you were like, "That was good. I like that." And it's like, okay. I'm going to throw two more Lin-Manuel Miranda kind of things at you, and let's see if it's a Lin-Manuel Miranda thing that you're okay with or, you know. I was thinking we were going to do Tick, Tick, Boom versus In the Heights, uh, but I guess Encanto made sense because it's they're both newer, so they both yeah. made sense. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I see what you did there, man. I, I appreciate you being uh, accommodating to your uh, non-musical loving friend. Yeah, because Lin-Manuel Miranda, he is great at writing musicals that are not very, uh, they're not as much of a musical. It's very much, yeah, they're not classical musicals. So they kind of feel a little bit different. And that's why Hamilton is such a widespread phenomena. And it goes full in on this one. Like him directing this movie, this is his directorial debut. He does a great job. It's amazing. It's absolutely, like, flawlessly Lin-Manuel Miranda. Uh, You could probably put somebody in front of Hamilton and then in front of this, and they'd go, yeah, that was done by the same person. There's there's no way that that was two different people. I I love how you can tell Lin-Manuel is inspired by Jonathan Larson, because you could tell there wouldn't be a Hamilton which, in its uniqueness of turning a very classical subject, Alexander Hamilton, and putting a fresh new hip-hop spin on it, is inspired by what you know um, Jonathan Larson was doing with Superbia, with Rent, with Tick Tick Boom. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're taking these very, you're taking these uh, themes of uh, personal failure, you know, um, like like stunted growth and like everyday issues of like you know like like AIDS. You know, like you got he has a lot of friends who are HIV positive that you know him. Even him being a straight man, he's still very affected by it because these friends are like his brothers. You know what I mean? Right. Um, yeah, you, you could tell even Lin-Manuel was inspired by Mr. Larson. Um, and there's a lot of, I like that, I like that there's a lot of winks to, um, musical stars of the past. Like, in one scene in a diner where, um, and I don't know if it was cameos by a lot of people that used to be in musicals, but when he comes up with the song Sundays, where he's in the diner and everybody's like, uh, everything is like, like coming down on him. Like he's trying to worry about his HIV positive friend. He's uh, worrying about the upcoming workshop, I think. Or was it an upcoming workshop? Something Um, like that. No, it was he – this was after the workshop had happened. 
and uh, everything had just kind of fallen apart with it. Uh, everybody loved it, but it wasn't seen as something that could go on Broadway. Everybody said it would be too expensive. It wouldn't pull in people, but keep trying. We can't wait to see what you come up with next. And he's literally going, I just spent seven years of my life making that. What do you mean? What do no, I no, come no, up no. with next? That came out. That came after that. Scene was, was that after, after that? Well, I, yeah, but I'm talking about the diner scene where it had all the, um, they had the cameo, some people that, that you know that that um our other stage actors like I remember I saw Felicia Rashad from the Cosby Show, which she's known for her stage work outside of playing Clara Huxtable. Um, you have oh, Bernadette you're talking Peters. about when uh, he wanted to like leave for the day, right? And yeah. everything kind of piled on, and it just kept cutting to different people, and just like, can I get my check? You know, can you get me a drink? Can you? And he's just stressing out about everything. And he cut the matinee. Yes. Yeah, he cut to the matinee time. And like all those people were like different stars of, of the stage. Uh, I thought that was pretty great, man. Like, yep. I, th- I like that how that was a great uh, wink to the great, um, you know, uh, stage singers of the past. And uh, even Lynn, Mor- Lynn Miranda um, makes a cameo as a as a as a cook uh, at the diner. Yeah, I caught that. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. But yeah, man, you you feel for this. You feel for Jonathan Larson because you understand him. You understand him wanting to be something. You know what I mean? Um, the thing with this movie is that uh, it gets very draining. Toward, not No, the film isn't draining, but you understand him feeling drained as a character towards the end. Like when he has that great workshop uh, for Superbia and he talks to his uh, <laughs> he talks to his agent, which almost who, who almost never returns his calls. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says like, "Hey, so how'd they go? Oh, everyone loved it. Okay, great. So can we can we get this going? Uh, well, you know, it, it's a little too hard to sell this sci-fi stuff on Broadway. Okay, well, what about off Broadway? Yeah, it's too hard to sell it on there too. And then mm-hmm. he just goes, or we, where we ask ourselves, we know where this ends, but we ask ourselves, well, what does he do now? She says, well, you you write another one, and then you write another one, and then you write another one." And that's how this life goes. You keep writing. Mm-hmm. And he goes, like you just said, he spent seven years of his life on this. And I like how she has that one moment because she feels his pain because he's, it's kind of coming down on him that this life is not easy. Like talent doesn't talent isn't enough. You know what I'm saying? Like you got to have like the hard work behind it in, in addition to the talent. And she's it's like, talent and luck is what it comes down to. Talent. There you go. Luck is involved too. I feel like he already had the foundation. It's just the work that had to follow behind it. But it's not easy coming up with musical numbers. It's not easy. Lin yeah. Man, Manuel Miranda said it too. He said, "I couldn't, I couldn't write Hamilton by myself. I needed help. It's not easy, you know." So she was like, "Listen, um, kid, like this is the life. I, I know this is very sad to hear, but this, this is, this is the life of a writer." You have to keep doing it and throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. Yeah. I, I do love how they kind of show how he interprets uh, his life to the musical. Because throughout the entire movie, we cut between him performing the play of Tick, Tick, Boom, which is him mm-hmm. kind of explaining his entire life. And then it cuts to just kind of regular movie kind of style scenes of his life playing out. And it continually goes back and forth. And 
it's nice to see like something happens and then it cuts to him singing about that moment and how he felt about it and everything like that. And it gives you that extra way for like doing internal dialogue. So you don't have to do like thought bubbles kind of way Mm -hmm. of approach because you literally have him singing about what he's thinking in that moment cut in with the actual moment. And I think the moment that sold me on this movie and that kind of like back and forth was when he was arguing with his girlfriend before Break she broke up, up with him. Yeah. That was done really well. It was so good because you see it going to the play, which is the song interpretation is I'm not mad with you about being mad at me for what I did because you didn't do what you said, but I said something else, you know, and right. it just, it has this very happy uptone beat to it. And then it cuts to the reality where he's breaking down, you know, everything in his life is falling apart. Uh, he's not sure if he's going to ever be able to get his play. This is before superbia had it's like open kind of thing too. So he's still trying to plan this out. Uh, his girlfriend's life is falling apart and he's not able to help with her because he's so hyper-focused on getting everything he's been working on off the ground. And I love how they show like his internal thought process. And she even makes a comment. You're not even paying attention to this conversation. You're just trying to figure out how you can make this and this whole moment into a song. Aren't you? And yeah, that was so that was so heartbreaking because you you know that's true, but you know why he's doing that. This guy's yeah. he's under he's under a lot of pressure and he needs to find some kind of song. So right. yeah. Like you know, in this moment, he's an asshole, but at the same time, you understand exactly why he's an asshole and he's really not trying to be. I wouldn't call him an asshole though. I would say that they were on two different tracks in their life. She was on track to get a more steady job, a more steady life, and he's on track to try to figure out this writing thing and see if he can really make it. I don't, I don't, I wouldn't chalk I, it up to. Yeah, I mean, more ahead. like how she perceives him as being an asshole. Like from the outside, okay. you can see how she sees him as being an asshole in this whole thing. Like he, it seems like he doesn't care at all about what she's going through and everything. But we see like the other side. Like we know everything he's going through, and it's like he's he's not being an asshole. He's just going through stress amount you know uh, undeniable exceeding amounts of stress mm-hmm. yeah i um i love uh i love the cameo by black thought from the roots uh how he he shows up rapping a song um i think his i think his rap name was hawk smooth but then it showed him showing up to cat uh was it cats or was it another musical where he says i'm auditioning for the part of uh old nebuchadnezzar yeah, or it, I can't remember yeah. what the play was that, but yeah, I love how it starts off with him being just like a homeless guy off the street, and he wasn't homeless; he was just rapping on the street. Oh, was he just oh, okay? Yeah, because yeah, yeah. um, they had made like a little music video out of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I did like how uh, they were cutting away from him doing the rap to Andrew Garfield doing it like on stage for Tick Tick Boom for the yeah. play version of it. Uh, another Part great way of- where it cut away back and forth and it worked well right right um what did i want to say here uh yeah i i like i like the winks that this film has like you see vanessa hudgens what's the first thing that pops in your mind uh oh the the you're talking about uh you're killing me here cosby Small. show 
No, Vanessa Hudgens. You, you, the first thing that pops in your mind is High School Musical. Oh, because she was in that movie. I never saw any of those, so I did not get that. Oh wow, okay. But I like how she's in this film, and you know, High School Musical for its time when it came on Disney Channel, that kind of revitalized musicals a little bit for the younger audience. You know what I'm saying? It gave it was a star making performance for her, Zac Efron. You know what I'm saying? So I like how she's in this film, and that's kind of a wink to that, too, as far as musicals go. Mm. But um, I love when he does his first workshop, and, you know, Stephen Sondheim, you know, uh, they're both him and the head of the musical theater workshop are sitting on stage, and the head of the workshop is like, you know what? I don't know what this is trying to be. Is this rock? Is this pop? And then Sondheim is like, you know, I thought I, I, I kind of liked it. I liked the music. Oh, you prefer you know what? I was gonna say that. I you 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 were right. I was gonna just gonna say that. But you know, there's no there's no good music to this, there's no good songs. And then Sondheim says it has some pretty good musical numbers. You know, I was gonna say the musical numbers aren't that bad. <laughs> you know? Yeah, th- there was some great humor to this as well. Uh th- this one strikes chords across the map when it comes to uh just the different kind of emotions. Yeah, man, I got to say, uh, this film hit me in the heartstrings, especially in the end, because they, they tell you in the beginning that he do, that he did die. Mm. Um, but they didn't tell me that. I don't think they tell you that he died before Rent took off. Like the fact that he died the day of it, it premiered on off Broadway. It just really like hurt my soul. Like, man, you could tell this film gives you Andrew Garfield and everyone across the board sells you on who this man is like mm-hmm. he's a man who, who loves musicals he he was wants to make a great musical and the day he makes one is the day god sent him calling to heaven like all right man you fulfilled your purpose and that's just well it's not the day he makes one it's the day that everybody gets to realize how great he is at writing musicals the day everyone sees it my bad the yeah day everyone sees it is the day he's called and i'm like oh man oh that's that's just that's Man, that that got out. That has to hurt your heart. Oh yeah. Um, See, I, that was one of the things I knew going into this one that because uh, I've seen Rent when it was uh, turned into the movie and everything like that, and like that was one of the always like big kind of trivia things about it is uh, the you know creator and writer of Rent never got to actually see it on Broadway because he died the day of its first premiere. You know what? I'll say one thing. I never watched Rent. I think I saw like the first 15 minutes of it and then I uh, I stopped watching it. But just because the music kind of threw me off. But um, I, I'm i not fully there yet. But watching this film kind of made me understand why people love musicals. And I recently saw Spielberg's West Side Story, which was pretty good. It was pretty good. Uh, so I understand why people love musicals. I'm, I'm not I'm not fully converted yet. But uh, it's a process. But uh, I I understand it. Uh, with all that being said, man, for me, this is a I get us a four point five. Uh, th- this one's a five out of five for me. The acting is on point. The cutaways are on point for being a directorial debut for Lin Manuel Miranda. It, this movie is just I absolutely love it. Yeah, I, I take away the the half point because it's still a musical. <laughs> Like I just I can't watch this every day, but I I love the emotion behind it. I love the emotion. I love the character development behind it. I love the way it was put together. Uh, And Garfield got a Golden Globe for this film. 
Yes, he did. Uh, yeah. And this one is actually one of the top contenders that I've heard of for the Academy Awards so far as well. Okay, I can see that. I can see that he does. A, he he's a great. He is a great lead in this performance, man. Yeah. Uh, so I yeah. I can say if this movie at least doesn't get into like the best picture category at all, I I'm gonna the rest of those movies better be like the top of the top because this deserves to be in that category. I think. I think best picture might be a given because it's a musical. Uh, I, I, any kind of musical can get in best picture, man. I'm telling you. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see on that one. Uh, All right. So what we got next here uh, is Encanto. Uh, You want to take the lead on this one? Yep, I can take the lead on this one. So Encanto is the story of the Madrigal family uh, in Colombia. They are a... The household uh, that they live in is magical, that each of them is given a special gift that they can use in order to help their community grow and everything. Uh, This one was storyboarded by Lin-Manuel Miranda, and the songs were all written by him. And if you've ever watched Hamilton or heard any of the songs from Hamilton or anything like that, uh, the one thing about this movie is when you hear the songs, all you can hear is... Yeah, this is Lin-Manuel Miranda. Everything about these songs is Lin-Manuel Miranda. You can almost hear him singing it. And I know that there's eventually going to be an album release of him singing all the songs from this. Because if there isn't, they're missing that opportunity on sales. Because I know I'm going to buy that CD. Because it's I already can hear his voice singing these songs. I okay, need folks. to finally hear him singing now, these songs. Now we know the real reason behind this episode. It wasn't for me. Yeah. <laughs> Brad is a Lin-Manuel Miranda stan. I, I absolutely love the man. He has some great stuff. <laughs> next thing you know, he's going to be telling me, hey, man, for next episode, hear me out. Let's do Hamilton and In the Heights. <laughs> oh, so you already looked at my uh, email for next episode. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but but uh, the main story of the focus is on uh, the character of Mirabelle. She is a m- member of the family. Uh there is also the so just to kind of go through the different members of the family real quick and their powers we have peppa who can control the weather with her emotions we have uh julietta who can heal people with her food uh then we have her two sisters who are luisa who is super strong and capable of like lifting bridges, buildings, basically anything. Uh, Isabella, who is just perfect in every way, but she can sprout flowers everywhere. Her power just kind of doesn't make sense to me, honestly. Uh, then she has three cousins. She has Dolores, who is able to hear anything, basically, in the entire town that they live in. Uh, Camillo, who can shape shift into pretty much any other person, and Antonio, who is the youngest and the most recent to get a gift, who can speak to animals. And uh, there is also one other part in here. I don't know if you caught it, but uh, Alan Tudyk voiced the toucan in this uh, movie. No, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, so the the toucan doesn't have a speaking role. It just makes toucan noise or bird noises, but uh, those bird noises are done by Alan Tudyk. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. 
<laughs> so uh, the main protagonist does not have a superpower. And then there is a final character, uh, Bruno, who has the ability to see into the future or gets visions of the future. Uh, doesn't get all the details, just kind of gets like a picture of something that's going to happen in the future. Uh, the movie starts with uh, the youngest, Antonio, finally getting his power, and then uh, Mirabelle being the only one that doesn't have a power, being kind of uh, you know left out of the party and feeling that she's not really a part of the family because she didn't get a gift, uh, notices that the house is starting to fall apart, the magic is dying, and she aims to try and find out what is happening and fix it. And yeah. that is the basic premise of this movie. <laughs> yeah, the grandma was kind of a dick, man. Um, yes, the grandmother is... I. They try and make her sympathetic a little bit. Like, she was trying to hold everything together. She was trying to make it so she didn't lose... Uh, everything again because she did lose her previous home she lost everybody she cared about and she was just so worried about losing everything that she puts the pressure on everybody around her to be perfect in every way and it it does put a lot of pressure on everybody else and that's one of the main themes of this movie the way my friend uh uh ben dayhart um he's on youtube if you want to look him up folks but the way he uh described this film is that uh encanto is about generational trauma yes and i feel like that's a perfect way to describe this movie because you 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 just said what the grandma went through um everything because of all the horror she went through with her uh her um her husband being killed when they had to um you know leave their home and the home they rent into being magical. Uh, she, you know, she has a specific kind of standard for her family. She expects everybody to be magical, everybody to be not, I don't want to say perfect in a way, but everybody to be special. And uh, we got the main character here, uh, Mirabelle, who does not have a power outwardly, but you know, her power is um, in the end is really just being herself, you know, being a, being a, a rock for the family as we learn. But, uh, you know, you, you have all this pressure on you and uh, that leads to trauma because she's the only person that wasn't given like real physical magic. Yeah, she feels like she has no place in the family right? because uh, everybody else in the family has this gift. And it's also another thing of like uh, people that are given like gifted kids and everything like that and how much pressure is put on them to be absolutely perfect because they have a higher chance in life of like accomplishing something. And people like instantly put so much pressure on them that it they stop being able to be themselves and they start falling into this. Uh, this is all I am. This is all I can do kind of thing. I'm, wait- I'm waiting for a perfect moment in my life where if a Shasha Baron Cohen discussion comes up and someone mentions Bruno, I got the excuse to finally say, hey, man, we don't we don't talk about Bruno. Like I just I, I want a moment to happen where I bring that up in natural conversation and, and the joke hits just perfectly. Like, dude, we don't talk about Bruno. And I just let it I just let it linger like get it. Oh, uh, yeah. Cause that mo- that song didn't even get stuck in my head. It's a good it's a very good song, but I guess that's the one song that got stuck in everybody's head. Oh, that song got stuck in my head. Like after I watched it, like every once in a while I just been we don't talk about Bruno, no, no. And it's like, God damn no, get out of my head. Stop it. <laughs> but yeah, right. that uh this song this movie has a lot of like really good songs with it. Uh like I said, they all are just 
Lin-Manuel Miranda songs through and through. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's Surface Pressure is really good. Uh, the We Don't Talk About Bruno, obviously, is the earworm of the movie. Um, there's a couple others that are kind of forgettable compared to those two. Uh, I think Welcome to the uh, Family Madrigal is another one that a lot of people seem to like. And the first song? Yeah, the very first song. Yeah, I like that one. Um, but one thing that I will say with this movie uh, when it comes to the song is it, they do great with animating like the dances and the choreography and everything that go along with the songs. So a lot of people have mentioned uh, that this is very like Colombian culture, like at its finest. Like a lot of people talk about different uh, kind of Pixar films and how they like captured a uh, continent and kind of the feel of living there and everything. Uh, Mm -hmm. People in Colombia are saying like this movie captures Colombia absolutely down to the T. Uh, The way that everybody dresses uh the mix of just different people there uh the song styles everything like that it just kind of fits in perfectly even to the way that the family kind of functions together and everything people have been praising this movie up and down for that that have lived in Colombia. so uh the last movie that i remember getting that much praise was probably coco yeah, yeah, a lot of people loved Coco, and I believe um, Moana got a lot of love too. Moana did get a lot of love for that. Yeah, yeah. One thing I say, man, when Disney goes um, to a specific type of region and culture, they make sure they 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 make sure to do it right. Like, um, even though Pixar is Disney, Pixar is its own company. When I watch Soul, and I would watch the main character in the Black Barbershop. You know, me be me, me being a black man and me going to the black barbershop, I say, yeah, that's that's how it is. Mm-hmm. That that is the environment. That's the vibe. So they do try to, um, you know, pay respect to uh, cultures the right way. Yeah. So th- this movie does that very well. Uh, the animation in this movie is just absolutely great. I don't know if you mm-hmm. kind of got uh, entranced by some of like how they did some of the animation, how fluid it looks with the clothing, uh, when you know they're dancing and everything. Uh, the curls of her hair, the it's just com- seeing this movie with its CGI and everything. It's just so insane how CGI keeps getting better and better somehow. Even mm-hmm. though it still has like that cartoon essence and everything like that, but it's kind of like that first time that you watch Monsters Inc. and you saw like the fur on Sully, and you're just like, "Holy crap, that looks amazing!" This movie takes it to another notch, I think, with just the way that the fabric pops and the you know the clothing flows and everything like that. It's th- I wasn't Go I ahead. wasn't too I wasn't too entranced by it, but I, I liked it though. I, I I saw the beauty in it. You know, I like the visuals. Um, I I don't know. I at, at the end of the day, I feel like this film has a lot of great lessons behind it and uh, great musical numbers. But I still looked at it, well, the musical part of it still kind of like, you know, you know me. It, it was um, too much for you with this one. It, yeah. At some points I'm like, OK, we got we got a few speaking moments in between here, a few little bits of humor. Yep, I feel it coming on. I I I hear the drum beats. It's coming. <laughs> Another musical number. 
uh, it comes to the point where with something I can deal with something like this because they're speaking in between of it, in between it. You know, most mm-hmm. musicals, it's like every single line of dialogue leads into music. Um, yeah, I kind of thought this was another another solid Disney film to me. I don't put this over Moana or. Uh, what's another Disney film I recently saw? I I, I kind of put this and Moana in the same space, which they're very good, but you know it's 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 the Disney formula. Yeah, I, I do want to say that uh, when it comes to like characterization, that's where this movie kind of stands out because uh, mm-hmm. it shows us like these people that have like these gifts and everything like that. So you have like Louisiana who. Uh, has the super strength and everything but as a part of that she thinks that she needs to like hold up the entire family you know she has all this pressure on her and everything and it leads to some great kind of characterization there uh you have bruno who absolutely has one of the saddest non-spoken moments in like any disney movie where uh we find out that he's been living in the walls of the house and uh one of the things is he's been kind of sitting and eating with the family from behind a picture. Uh, and he has like this little drawing of a plate on the table that has his name on it and stuff like, and a fork and knife there. And it's like the, the saddest kind of thing of just, he cares so much about his family that he literally knowing that he saw a vision that uh Mirabelle was the reason that the magic dies instead of telling people he decided to vanish to save her because then people would have outcasted her as a result of that. And mm. he literally couldn't even leave his family. So he kind of got just hit in the walls and just watched from afar. And it's so kind of just, it, it's, it's heartbreaking. <laughs> I don't know. If I, well, yeah. Okay. It, it didn't I, hit I, you I, as hard for that one. It, it didn't hit me as hard because like, again, <laughs> I look at it as, that's ah, a Disney movie, but I it, I get what you're saying. Yeah, Bruno does have a sad story. Uh, you do if from from a character standpoint, from a writing standpoint. Yeah, he's a very empathetic character. Uh, yeah, I hear what you're saying. Uh, John Leguizamo did pretty great as Bruno. Oh, absolutely. He, he didn't uh, even come off as John Leguizamo. He sounded like Bruno. Yeah, when uh, it, there were a couple moments where like I heard a voice and I was like okay, I got to look up and see who this is. And it was Sid from Ice Age. And I was like, okay, that, that that's not quite who I was expecting it to be, but okay. <laughs> Sid from Ice Age. It's been such a long time since I watched Ice Age. Bro. I know. <laughs> I forgot all about that movie, man. <laughs> with the squirrel. <laughs> oh, man. But uh, yeah, with this, I, I think Bruno is like one of the... Uh, in most interesting characters in this movie especially because even at the end after like the house crumbles down and everything like that and people are you know trying to find mirabelle uh he comes out and he's like it's not her fault i'm the one that saw the vision i did this if you're gonna blame anybody it's me you know like he was fully waiting to be able to take the full blame for everything that happened still you know right, right. um yeah, he. I thought he was a great character and kind of showing how, you know, somebody that gets blamed for everything eventually starts blaming themselves for everything. Mm-hmm. And you get just different kind of like psychological trauma between different characters and what they're going through. Uh, even the character that uh, everything that she does is perfect, 
she feels that everything needs to be perfect. She's not allowed to express herself in any way because if she does, that might not be perfect. So she has to do everything exactly how she perceives everybody else thinks it's perfect. Yeah, I didn't quite understand her power. Like I, yeah, her power yeah, she, didn't. She, she made didn't flowers. Make much sense. <laughs> yeah, she didn't make much sense. But um, I don't know, man. You say he's he had one of the like saddest scenes in the history of Disney films. Did no, I'm saying like the saddest unspoken kind of just there it is and gone kind of scenes. Uh, listen, man, Disney's come out with a lot of movies. They have. Really? But that mm, that one hit hard for me. For being All something right. that you just kind of came up and then just was brushed away like it was nothing. It was like, oh, that, that hits hard. For something that doesn't have a single line of dialogue spoken about it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, you could be right. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, uh, that, That's how I feel on it. Yeah. I got you. I got you. Anything else you want to cover on this movie? Um... Not really that I can think of. Uh, it, overall, I thought it was a good movie. Yeah, it, it was fun. Yeah, I think it was fun. I think it was fun. If I'm going to be completely honest, it didn't really give me anything different from other Disney films except, you know, new culture, um, you know, new, you know, foot stomping songs. But they never do. They never do wrong with songs, man. Oh, uh, yeah. Lin-Manuel brought his own spin on it and he, he's very welcome here. Just like uh, my man, Phil Collins, this man created a whole soundtrack for Tarzan. He didn't need to do that for us, but mm-hmm. he did. Yeah. Um, so I, I would put that on the same level as this. It's, like it's one of the best music that's come out of a Disney film. Uh, one of the best music soundtracks that's come out of uh, the, the Disney catalog. Uh, I get a 3.5. Uh, this one I would put at like a 4. I'm not mad at that. I understand. Yeah. I, I think that it it definitely has a different kind of storyline that you don't see in most like Disney movies. There's no real villain. Uh, I guess the Abuela, the grandmother, could be seen as a villain. But even then, she's really not the villain. It's a misunderstood you know. villain. Right. It's uh, it, The whole thing is basically just family pressure. And it just shows that people, there doesn't need to be a villain for the, the bee pressure put onto people and stuff like that. Uh, it's just a very like down to earth, simple Disney movie. And I, I like it for that. You know, it's not trying to be anything more than that. Yeah. I thought it was pretty good, man. I, I thought it was a very, um, a very solid Disney film. I, I walked out smiling um, did you happen to see the short film that came before it, or you watched this? Uh, you watched this on Disney Plus. I watched this one on Disney Plus, so I didn't see the short film before it. Okay, whenever you get a chance, I'd say uh, you know you should check that one out. I don't know if it's called Far from the Tree or something like that, but it's it's a very good movie. I, I would check it out when you okay. get a chance. To anyone watching this, um, I you know you always like you always look forward to seeing the short and. Anim- the animated shorts that come before the films where you go see Pixar or Disney movies. I think with uh, Incredibles 2, there was Bow. I think with A Bug's Life, there was Gerald's Game, which is one of, one of my favorites. Um, yeah, man. I but, still uh, think one of my favorites is the one that came before. I want to say it was Coco, the one about the pug. Hmm. I never saw that one, but I'll check it out. Yeah. Uh, that one was about a uh, guy going through a relationship and, you know, everything like that. And you see it from the dog's perspective. Okay. Okay. 
yeah, I um I enjoyed this film, man. I thought it was a I thought it was pretty cool, man. I thought it was a nice feel good film. Yeah, this one, you know, I'm I'm not always big on musicals. There's some that I enjoy, like I enjoy uh, Little Shop of Horrors and everything like that. Uh, I enjoy Tick Tick Boom and stuff. This one started getting onto the annoying side of musicals, like you said, where it's like, oh, I can hear the drums coming up. This means it's a song. Okay, well, I guess we're done with uh, the exposition of you know characters talking. Let's get you back see- to a song. <laughs> I thought it was maybe just my mood, like, eh, because when I'm in the theaters, I don't want to sit for a long amount of time listening to people sing. So I, was th- so I was thinking, like, okay, maybe it's just my mood. Maybe it's my mood that's got me feeling this way. But the fact that you said that kind of solidified that, yeah, it was getting a little, if you're not a musical person, it can be a little yeah. annoying. Yeah, I'm not big on musical. Like, there's certain ones where I can really get into it, uh, but this was not one that I got into it. Uh, but we don't talk about Bruno is that earworm that I still can't get out of my head. I, it's a good song. I, I like that song, but I hate it at the same time because it's just randomly of just, you know, I'll just be walking to my car and we don't talk about Bruno, no, no. God, no, stop it. <laughs> Try to stop yourself. Ah, man. Hey man, what you been watching lately? Um, outside of this, uh, I'm still doing my Breaking Bad rewatches. Um, I'm in nearing the end of season two, so I, I'm doing a slow roll on it because we still have until we don't even have a release date on Better Call Saul, so I'm not trying to rush through it all. Dude, I sometimes forget. You forget sometimes how dark that show gets towards the end. Because when it starts off, it's just a it's it's a, just a great dark dramedy. Oh yeah. Well, even in the beginning, you forget how slow some of like the build up is as well, uh, and where it's trying to kind of try and find its place as too. Because the first season, you might think of Breaking Bad as like this breakout, like amazing shit. The first season's a little rough. It's <laughs> not for me, man. I felt like the. I feel like there was necessary slow pace in the first season. Oh, for me, I, I thought the first season had a little bit of rough edges on it still. Uh, second re- season definitely, I think, is where it found second its place. Second season picks it up. Yeah. Second season picks it up. But I would say the only reason I give the first season a pass is because you're, you're dealing with a very implausible plot. A middle-aged man just got diagnosed with cancer, selling meth. You right. got to really try to sell that right. So I think the season one kind of like it flirts with the pace of really sinking into what makes a guy be like this and how far can he go? Yeah. I I think for me, uh, it's just, I know how great like season, like two basically through five are, you know, what's coming watching first season again is like, okay, this is, this is a little bit awkward at times and everything like that. Uh, but at the same time, I remember when I was watching this for the first time, it, basically, you're watching this show and going, yeah, that's the dad from Malcolm in the Middle. This is amazing. I didn't know that he could act like this. Dude, I was like that after the first episode, man. Let me tell you something, man. The moment where things changed for me, because I was watching it, I was like, yeah, this is this is still kind of funny. He's still funny, but it's very sad. Like, it's yeah. very dark. But I, I'm entranced. The moment where I'm like, Oh, this show is badass. Was the moment where he's 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 faced with that decision. He, I forgot the name of the episodes. I used to remember episode titles. Um, I think it's um, 
uh, 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 Gray Matter. I think that's the name of the episode. No, it was another one. But anyway, it was the point where they uh, one of the guys they got from the from the bad uh, deal went wrong in the first episode. He's down in the basement and um, he uh, he's he's thinking about letting them go. But then he goes upstairs and he he looks through all the like uh, the sharded glass of the plates that he he initially dropped when he first fainted. Mm-hmm. He he realizes, he realizes that one point one is missing, like one piece is missing. So he he starts wrestling his mind, like, no, no, I know he's a good kid. I know he's not trying to kill me. I know he's a good kid. So he goes downstairs and he it's it's just like that great moment of writing where he's like. If I let you go, are you not gonna stab me with that plate in your uh in your pocket? And then he just you know, it just leads to that showdown. I'm like, yo. Yeah. That was a great scene. That was a great scene. That is definitely one of the scenes where just even the tension knowing how it ends, watching it again, uh, right. it, it's still kind of just it pulls you in. It's like, oh man. It the show, the first season definitely has a couple hiccups and everything. But I feel like those hiccups are only more noticeable because you know how perfect basically the rest of the series is going forward. Yeah, I feel like, and you gotta you gotta take in mind it was made during one of the writer strikes too. That's why it's so short. Was so, the first season started during the writer strike? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's why it's so short. Okay, um, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, um, dude, you know what's cool about season two? If you look at the if you look at the episode titles of season two, um, I think if you take some of the titles uh, throughout the season, it spells out uh, seven forty seven down over uh, Albuquerque, ABQ Albuquerque, which kind of leads up to what happens in the finale. Oh, with the plane crash. With, with the plane, yeah. yeah. And I thought that was so cool. I didn't notice that at first. Did you notice that? I didn't need, know that. Yeah, like I, I'm pulling up the episode names now to see this. I this is the first I'm hearing of this. I am too, man. When I found out they did that as writers, I'm like, dude, that's why I want to be a, a television writer to do something like that. Yeah, but you take episodes one for one for ten and thirteen seven forty seven seven thirty seven down over ABQ. Isn't that isn't that awesome? Oh, that is. Oh, I that love makes, that. That is that makes so that great. Even better. That makes that season even better. All the people listening to this, like, man, they are some Breaking Bad nerds. Yeah. <laughs> First, they it's geek great- out about N- Min or uh, Lin Manuel Miranda. Now it's Breaking Bad. <laughs> Where will you, it end? You geeked out about Lin Manuel. No, I do but like. No. It, he makes great stuff. I think. I'll stand no, by does. that. He does absolutely. Um. I'm rewatching Mr. Robot with my wife, and uh, guess what I picked back up, man? Uh, the anime we started, Monster. Oh, you're picking that back up? Yeah, man. I've 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 treaded along. I've treaded along, and it's gotten very very good. Uh, it's still 74 episodes. That episode count hasn't changed, unfortunately. But um, I'm on episode like 41. It's still very it's. It's still a very engaging uh, anime, man. For all you out, for all you out there that love anime, I would suggest checking out Monster from like the early two thousands. It's free on YouTube, very good. Uh, I would say you should pick it back up when you have a chance. I understand you got to watch it in between because it's so long, but um, mm-hmm. it's good, man. Yeah, I need to. Uh, never mind. There's another show that kind of just premiered on Adult Swim that uh, they decided to kind of just surprise premiere the entire show in one night 
uh, called Smiling Friends. Uh, it is peak Adult Swim. I absolutely love this show, and I hope to God it gets a second season. Now, I need to know what what on what side of the spectrum is this Adult Swim? Now, is this Adult Swim Robot Chicken Aqua Teen? Or is this on the far side of uh, the heart she holler and and uh, Mister Pickles? This is on the like Squid Billy's twelve ounce mouse side of Adult Swim. I never really got into Squid Billy's, man. I always oh. thought it was a little too weird. I I get it. it's an acquired taste kind of thing, but Smiling Friends is a new one. Uh, check out one of the episodes. I'm pretty sure the first episode is still streaming on uh, Adult Swim's website for free. Uh, for anybody that wants to check it out, it's it's great. It's the entire premise is it's these uh, people that work for a company who are supposed to cheer people up, uh, but they're terrible at their jobs. <laughs> okay, yeah, that does sound funny. Um, when I talk about Squid Billies, I always th- I always the theme song always comes to my mind. Hey, let me get a uh, let me get a turn on that thing. Don't touch the tram. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I just say that randomly. Don't touch the charm. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I always loved his hats. <laughs> Every episode right. he would have a different hat. Hey, um, do you watch Joe Para talks with you? I do not. That comes on Adult Swim. It's the thing about it is that this this one makes it such an Adult Swim uh, show because you know Adult Swim has a lot of irreverent, like off the wall stuff on it. But this show is really just about a nice guy who lives in a small town. He he has to be like thirty something years old, like around our age, and he okay. walks like he walks like a grandpa, and he lives in this small, uh, you know, snowy. I want to say midwestern town, and he just talks to the audience like, yeah. So today, you know, we're gonna go to uh the diner, and uh, I always get faced with a hard decision. Bacon or eggs, you know, like he—he is—it's so charming at the same time. You should watch that show. So I love. So I'm gonna read off what are the top people ask also ask when you search for Joe Para talks with you. Um, the first one is, uh, what is the point of Joe Para talks with you? <laughs> uh, the second question is, is Joe Para talking funny? <laughs> He's such an enigma because he is he he's he's such a nice guy like he's a nice warm guy, but um yeah he's just like a slow moving slow talking type of guy and it's just it's just a warm show. I had a lot of irreverent off the wall stuff on Adult Swim. I would I'm check gonna it have out. to check it out for sure. That that seems completely up my alley in just the what is this <laughs> that I'm watching category. I know for a while I was watching Off the Air. If you want to talk about weird. Off the Air was great. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen it in a while, though, but I think it's actually still coming with new episodes, too. It comes out in spurts. There's never an actual release date for yeah. it. Because like, I think they show it in, in in the time where television will be off the air, right? Yeah, that's, that, how, that's, that's kind of the point so of it. And it's always like very like weird, artsy stuff that wouldn't get its own kind of show anyway. It's I, I like well. it. I like the compilations. It's done well. Yeah. yeah. It's that one's definitely a very particular taste. I can understand if people go, I don't like that. And it's like, I, I understand 100%. Man, that's for 80% of the stuff on Adult Swim, dog. Like, I I tell you, man, I was watching Aqua, Tween, Aqua Teen one day. And to us, that's like, you know, that's like Ed and Eddie. That's yeah. like a classic show. My wife walks in and says, 
okay, so there's a talking fry. There's a talking female meatwad. I said, no, that's not a female. Okay, he's a male. Well, we don't we don't actually know. Yeah. <laughs> meatwad is meatwad. Uh, okay. She just put her hand up and just walked away. Like, yeah, that's that show's uh, not for everybody. Yeah, I'll be honest. When I when it comes to thinking Adult Swim, it's Aqua Teen Hunger Force, uh, Venture Brothers, Twelve Ounce Mouse, Squid Billies. Like those are the four that I remember. Me is uh, Aqua Teen Boondocks Brack Show. That's a very oldie right there. Brack, Brack show, show is very old. Yeah, I, I miss Brack Show. Robot Chicken, which I I wish I kind of was on. I wish I kind of hopped on that train. I only saw like two episodes and clips here and there, but I know how great it was. Um, Family Guy before the Fox revival, um, which kind of brought forth the Fox revival, mm-hmm. and Futurama, and that's pretty much it for me. Oh, um, I never really watched it, but I, I, I would I would catch clips of it. Harvey Birdman. Uh, oh, Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, that's not. There's so many great classics, but at the same time, it's like when it comes down to when you think Adult Swim, what do you think of? It's like Aqua Teen Hunger Force, Venture Brothers, Twelve Ounce Mouse, Squid Billies. Sea Lab 2021, which the writers wanted to do another season during uh, 2021 too, and uh, they just couldn't come up with something in time. Mm, that would have been great. I um I missed it. I missed the April Fool's nights where they would show the room. Like I never would catch the room on on Adult Swim. Oh yeah, they uh, they did that for a couple of years, and they still do something every year for. Uh, April Fool's Day. I think the last, yeah, last year's what they did is they redubbed uh, episodes of different shows to be kid friendly. So it was all voiced by children. And they did an episode of Aqua Teen Hunger Force, an episode of Rick and Morty. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. There was another show that they did, I want to say, too. And <laughs> it was all just like kids doing pretty much the exact same script like almost word for word but they were swapping out certain themes for like more child appropriate or friendly kind of things yeah now i gotta admit um now when you start talking to me about tim and eric awesome show that i didn't i never really went that far because that show was out there (laughs) that show was out there i was like yeah I, i never really went that far but i knew of that show yeah, Tim and Eric, awesome show, great job. Tom goes to the mayor. Oh, um, home movies, home movies. Steve Brule. Oh yeah, check it out. Check it out with <laughs> Steve Brule. <laughs> just check it out. Just check it out. It's just. Well, isn't that neat? <laughs> I think there was one that was like supposed to be a Saturday morning kids show. Uh, Mike Tyson mysteries. Mike Tyson like Mysteries was great. I don't know if you ever watched that one. Nah, I never saw it. Oh, well, give that one a shot. Just pick a random episode somewhere in the middle and just watch it. You're not going to be lost on it. It's basically a uh, mocking of uh, Scooby-Doo. Okay, okay. I'll tell you what, though, man. Uh, a show that sold me, a lot of my friends didn't watch it because it was so weird. Like, again, this is Adult Swim we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Eric Andre Show. Oh, the Eric Andre show is just a league of its own. Uh, I used to love that show, man, because <laughs> it was just so wild, and he was just—he was just everything you do right as a talk ho- talk show host. He did wrong, 
Yeah. And it was so great. He 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 thrived on making guests uncomfortable. Did you ever watch any of the interviews that he would do uh explaining like what they would do on set because apparently they would have the guests kind of sometimes wait for like 5 hours before they would do the taping. The entire time like every 5 <laughs> minutes going, "Okay, we're we're almost ready. We're just like starting the cameras up. We just had like a light failure and we're fixing that real quick." Yeah, it's right. going to be just 5 more minutes. And they do that for like 5 hours. <laughs> And then they bring them into the studio where it's all filmed and everything. And they said that they actually would have heat lamps turned on full blast around the entire studio. So the entire studio was like unbearable to be in and stuff like that. Like they would make it so their guests were as miserable as possible before getting on there and having to deal with then Eric Andre. (laughs) Wow. That's genius. That is genius to do that, like that to bring a great, um, like, um, like, like visceral reaction out of somebody. Yeah. Oh, and I remember he uh, said, like, one of the questions is, uh, have you ever seen the show before they would have a guest come on? And if they ever said yes, instantly they weren't being brought on. <laughs> so he would only bring people on that had no idea <laughs> what madness they were in for. That's the best thing to do because, you know, anyone that's seen the show, they're probably going to try to, like, like be in on the joke and stuff like that. And it wouldn't be as sincere. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. So that's, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. I still think one of the best clips of that is uh, when Andy Samberg comes on and it's doing, like, uh, it was a clone of, like, Hannibal Burris. Andy Samberg played the clone of Eric Andre and stuff. And part of it was Eric Andre just took off his pants like full on nudity and started doing something. And uh, Andy Samberg was like, "Nah, I'm I'm not doing that." He was like, "This is why you're not going to make it in show business." And and uh, Andy Samberg just goes, "I'm doing better than you." <laughs> I'm on SNL. Uh, yeah. Oh, I love that Dude, show. Top two to me, uh, Flavor Flav. Um, his one was amazing, uh, funny, like funny to me and T.I. Cause T.I., you could tell T.I. was just not having it. Like, I don't think I've was, seen T.I.'s. I'm going to have to look that one up. Oh, look it up, man. Look it up after we get done talking. Cause he was just not having it. He, you could tell he was just already, he was probably one of the people that had to wait five hours. Probably. And, uh, <laughs> you know, Eric Andre was just messing with him and it came to the point where T.I. left and I think on his way out, he just threw one of the stuff to the ground. Like he took one of the statues and just like threw it to the ground, just like angered. Uh, it, it's great to see him get under people's skin. Oh yeah. It was always hilarious. I, I, I definitely, is that one still doing new episodes? I want to say it is. I don't necessarily know. Yeah. Um, I also did like the campaign when, uh, Ellen was uh, possibly getting kicked off her show and everybody was like, just replace her with Eric Andre. Don't change the format of the show at all. Just replace her with Eric Andre. Don't mention it at all. Keep saying that the show is Ellen. (laughs) And just do a season of that and just have that be the new season of the Eric Andre show. (laughs) If they actually had the balls to do that, I would tune in every morning. Dude, that would be probably one of the... Like, after the first episode, 
were right. you know nobody would hear about it and then everybody would hear about it the second episode of that like new ellen would probably be the most watched episode on like daytime tv <laughs> it would it would be it actually would be um yeah man adult swim had a great run i mean they're still having a good run they still got good programs on there like um you know primal of course rick and morty has has had a great spike um but uh yeah it's not it's you know you always think that the current generation doesn't match the generation you grow up with oh yeah yeah i feel like adult swim has more misses than they have hits now i got you i got you All right, folks, this has been another great episode of Double Feature Versus. We will catch you on the flip side. Uh, Take care.